When we read our text from the book of Acts today, we're reading the story of the death of Dorcas, also called Tabitha, whom we later learn is a widow. I'll try to stick with the name Tabitha because I like it better. The story begins by saying, now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha. We can skip over it quickly and not notice that this is the only time in the entire New Testament that a woman is referred to as disciple. Disciple was the most authoritative role in the early church. It was a title usually reserved only for the people that were members of Jesus' inner circle when he was alive. Tabitha was a disciple, part of the inner circle of that early Christian community. The text tells us that she was devoted to good works and to acts of charity. The suggestion of Greek in, in the Greek is a sort of deeper life of companionship with the poor. She was known for acts of mercy, for concrete works of compassion. She's sick. She eventually dies and is prepared for burial. And the community is so distraught that they send for Peter, the disciple whom Jesus named as leader of what would become the church. And Peter comes immediately, which gives you a sense of her heft within the community. And when he arrives, she's surrounded by the widows, which was a group in the early church that were charged with the church's work with those who are suffering and in need. And they weep and they show Peter the clothing that she made, symbolizing the work that she did for those who didn't even have clothes to wear. So the only woman in the whole of the New Testament who is called a disciple, and the people who weep for her are those charged with care for the poor. And the evidence that they offered that her life mattered were the garments that she had made for those who had nothing. Some of you might read the New York Times and love or hate David Brooks. People tend to fall in one camp or the other. But he said in a column a few years ago that there are two kinds of virtues in life. There are resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Resume virtues, he says, are the skills that you bring to the marketplace. Competence, capacity for hard work, strategic thinking, negotiating. Eulogy virtues are those virtues which, we'll talk about, which people will talk about at your funeral. He knew how to love deeply. She always made me laugh. He was there when I needed to talk. She helped me when I was hurting. Resume virtues and eulogy virtues. I think it's a helpful distinction. And of course, we all know intellectually that eulogy virtues are more important than resume virtues. At our funeral, no one will care how many hours we worked or how much business we brought to the company. Our eulogy virtues are, are our legacy. They're what lasts. But even though we know that eulogy virtues matter more than resume virtues, our society spends most of its time and energy pushing us to grow in those resume virtues, to succeed in the workplace, 
and very little time teaching us how to cultivate those eulogy virtues, how to grow in kindness, in compassion, in the ability to serve. And so it's really easy to fall into that trap, I think we all do, of thinking that our resume virtues are what really matters, that what we accomplish in the marketplace will be our legacy, that people will remember the impact we made on our field, on our business. And honestly, I'm not sure that's true. It's my great privilege to preside at funerals, and I've certainly officiated at the funerals of very accomplished men and women. And most of the time, the only way that I know about their professional accomplishments or even what they did for a living is from their obituary. Because what people say at the funeral usually has nothing to do with their work. What people remember is how well people loved, how people showed the care they had for the peoples in their lives, whether or not they were kind when it mattered, the acts of service that they did for others, the eulogy virtues. Tabitha was a woman who had eulogy virtues. When Peter spoke with those who mourned her, no one seemed to mention how good she was at organizing the sewing circle or how she managed to ascend from being a mere widow to part of Jesus's inner circle. Instead, her friends wept, and they showed Peter the clothes she made for people who needed them. That was her legacy. That was the legacy of the only woman called disciple. Signs of small, practical acts of love and mercy for those who struggled. That's what she left behind. And that's what her friends offered to Peter as a sign that her life mattered. Signs of a life that seemed to be without resume virtues. She's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. She's not particularly well-known. But she lived a life full of the kind of virtue that matters, the kind of virtue that lasts. It's funny, after Peter looks at these signs of love and gets a sense of the kind of life that Tabitha lived, it almost seems like he doesn't know what to do next. He just sends all of her friends out of the room and kneels next to her body and prays. We don't know what he experienced in that prayer, but when he finished praying, he turned to her body and said, Tabitha, get up. And she does. There's only one other instance in the New Testament when a disciple, rather than Jesus himself, is able to raise someone from the dead. Of the hundreds of leaders of the early church, many of whom were martyred for their faith, only Tabitha and one other are raised from the dead. And a side note, the other one um, Paul raises for the, from the dead because during one of Paul's longer sermons, he falls asleep in a window and falls out. Interesting. So instructive, largely, for preachers. So this widow from a small town... This person who spent her whole life in service to others, this person with no notable worldly accomplishments, no resume virtues, is the one who is raised from the dead. Not Peter, not Paul, not Jesus' own brother James, but Tabitha. And I wonder if we're supposed to see in this miraculous resurrection a statement about the kind of life that matters in the kingdom of God, the kind of life that lives on after death, and the kind of life that could bring Peter to his knees in prayer. 
to life of service to others. We all want to live a life that matters, a life that changes the world for the better in some small way. And we're surrounded all the time by voices that tell us that the way to do it is to work harder and longer, to be at every PTA meeting, to never forget to bring the orange slices to the soccer game, to keep our houses perfectly clean, to make the biggest bonus, or to have the idea that changes the industry. And all of these are wonderful and they matter, but they aren't eulogy virtues. They aren't our legacy, the things that people will really remember about us. To be honest, they'll probably be forgotten six months after we retire. What matters is a life lived in service and love, a life lived with acts of kindness shown to your family, to your friends, and in acts of service to the wider world, in the fight for a world that's more just, where everyone is treated as a beloved child of God. When Tabitha died, her eulogy was the tears of her friends and the acts of mercy and kindness that she left behind. What will people remember when we are gone? Is it what we'd like to be remembered for? Or would we like to change direction a little bit? No one will remember our resumes, but people will remember courage, compassion, love, and service. As Jesus says in our gospel today, whoever wishes to become great must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be servant of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Amen.